0: this is storybeat storytellers on storytelling
1: an exploration into how master storytellers and artists develop and build brilliant stories and works of art that people everywhere love and admire so join us as we discover how talented creators of all kinds
0: find success in the worlds of imagination and entertainment here now is your host steve cutin Thanks for joining us on Story Beat. We're coming to you from the Steel City, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. If you like this podcast, please take a moment to give us a rating or review on whatever app or platform you're listening to. Your support helps us bring more great Story Beat episodes to you. My guest today, Scott Siegel, is the award-winning author of 48 books, from the Encyclopedia of Hollywood to celebrity biographies of stars like Jack Nicholson and Richard Chamberlain. He's also created more than 400 major concerts throughout the world, including writing, directing, and producing shows for Michael Feinstein. He's perhaps best known as the creator, writer, director, and host of Town Hall's signature series, Broadway by the Year, which began its 20th anniversary season in February of 2020. During this COVID-19 crisis, he's been pioneering new programming that guarantees payments to performers with Scott Siegel's Great American Songbook Concert Series, while also continuing a home edition of Broadway by the Year through Town Hall's YouTube channel. For all those reasons, and so many more, it's a great privilege for me to have Scott Siegel as my guest on Storybeat today. Scott, welcome to the show.
1: Hello, Stephen. How are you?
0: I'm great, thank you, and thank you for doing this. Um, So you've been writing and publishing for a fairly long time. I'm curious, do you think of yourself as a writer first?
1: Yes, I do. Um, I I actually never aspired to a career in show business. Uh, uh, I never wanted to be an actor. uh, I, I was in a high school. I was cast in a high school production of Uh, the sound of music and i dropped out almost immediately because i knew it wasn't for me (laughs) so how (laughs) did you uh, wind up how
0: did you wind up focusing on doing shows then how did you get into this
1: well you know it's so funny about these things you i would you could never i would never nobody would ever see the progression but you can always connect the dots going backwards and see how you got there and basically it really came from um a love of movies. I mean, my wife was always a huge theater fan and she's the one who really got me involved in theater right as soon as we met uh, a long time ago. But one of the books that we'd written was the Encyclopedia of Hollywood. And as a consequence of that, in the course of promoting the book uh, on radio stations around the country, uh, at one point, the, um, I believe it was a DJ in Denver said, oh my goodness, you know, you're in New York and you're an expert on the movies. Why don't you come back next week and, uh, and talk about the movies for us? And I thought, the light bulb goes on. I said, well, geez, I'm, I don't know, uh, rather than be an academic and a book writer, I can be a film critic. <laughs> so uh, as a consequence of that, uh, every time I got on with, with somebody to promote the Encyclopedia of Hollywood, I said, and by the way, I'm doing this thing with Denver, and I'm doing this thing in Toronto, doing this, and I built up a, a syndicate of radio stations that, was doing, that we were doing movie reviews for uh, we call it the Siegel Entertainment Syndicate. And out of that, uh, then we started adding to that and started going, because my wife's love of the theater and my new love of the theater, uh, we, uh, we started adding theater to that.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
1: um, uh, then, uh, uh, a friend of ours that we met in, in the theater circuit, uh, was, was leaving his job as the, uh, as the critic for uh, covering new york for a, a, a publication called Dramalogue, which was the backstage of, oh, sure. of the west coast
0: absolutely uh
1: he said why don't you take over our column And, and the Dramalogue people said sure and uh for the next 6 years after that we wrote the new york new york column for uh uh for Dramalogue, which was actually the best job i ever had because i never met them they never changed a word of what we wrote <laughs> and they said you can write whatever you want it's your column so so we were started out writing uh Theater reviews, and we added uh, movie stuff for them. We did all the junkets in New York. I interviewed Barbara Streisand and Woody Allen and everybody, you know, Paul Newman, people like that. Uh, so that was great fun. And uh, and we and and we added nightclub stuff to it too. So we became really only only uh, Rex Reed, William Wolfe, and ourselves were the only people who covered all three things: uh, movies, theater, and, and nightclubs. Uh, wow! All right.
0: For, for, for the listeners, tell us your wife's name.
1: Barbara Siegel. Barbara Siegel. And, and, and she has had quite a distinguished career on her own. She was uh, on the Drama Desk nominating committee 12 years as the chairperson of the nominating Wow. 18 years, a <laughs> big chunk of her adult life uh, as, as a volunteer, basically. It was an unpaid thing, but she you know, spearheaded all of the, the Drama Desk nominations for 18 years. Um, and for those who are not familiar with the Drama Desk, other than the, the Tony Awards covers just Broadway. And the most important thing after the, the Tony Awards is the Drama Desk because they covered everything. Uh, uh, Broadway, off-Broadway and off-off-Broadway. So we were seeing, uh, on average, uh, not counting my own shows, we, uh, we went out to see 300 shows a year. And this is an wow. important part of the story because we got to see everybody and everything. Sure. And that formed the basis upon which I, I was able to cast so well uh, all the stuff that I did because I could say, I like that guy, or I like that woman. And, uh, and I would pursue them for, for these shows. Uh, so I, it was like, New York was my casting universe. Uh, and I didn't need a casting agent because we saw everybody.
0: You, you, you are a master show watcher before anything else.
1: <laughs> yes, I would say so.
0: And, and all right, so um, let's talk about the world of cabaret, which is sort of where your your meat and potatoes are. Yes, would you say?
1: Somewhere between musical theater and 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 cabaret. And I almost hate the word cabaret. I prefer to use the word nightclub. Uh, all right. Then, nationally then better known, I think. All
0: right, so, so was it just by going to a lot of nightclub shows that you became fascinated by nightclub? Or were you fascinated before you got to see them?
1: no i it was really big going uh and and seeing what it was all about, and really sort of falling in love with with the fact that it, when when somebody gets on a on a on a cabaret or nightclub stage they are they are the boss you know they're they're in charge they're the star and they make everything happen or not happen uh and it's an extraordinary uh art form um and in some cases it's a very expensive art form in some cases it's not you know depending upon the nature of the club but uh uh but it's certainly intimate and it's certainly very expressive and and it allows somebody to both be themselves and be something bigger and greater than themselves uh and uh i'll never forget one of the things that was a long time ago faith prince when she became a star out of guys and dolls yeah uh, right after that she started doing nightclub shows and at the end of that, that first year doing it she won some awards and uh uh, at one of the awards ceremonies, she said, the hardest thing I ever had to do was this nightclub show because uh, the hardest thing I ever had to do in 20 years of being in show business was be myself on stage. Uh-huh. And, uh, and, and if one can be authentic on stage and still be a showbiz personality, you know, and, and, and express oneself uh, in that special way and still be who you are, it's, it's a real gift.
0: So, so would you say that the hallmark is of of nightclub or cabaret, whatever you want to call it? Would you say that the hallmark of it is is that it's an individual performer, usually one, and the spotlight is completely on them, and it's their night, their show.
1: Yeah, yeah absolutely, and 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 it, it certainly, if if you have all three elements of of being a great personality and and really comfortable on stage, uh, and if you have a great voice and you have a great theme and, and, and it's well, well constructed and well written show. It's, it's magic. Uh, yeah. Uh, it, you know, you can get by with even one of those things. Yeah, I would, still, I would say, I would
0: say without that killer personality, it's less interesting. That's what to me always you know, makes it
1: true.
0: that, that when somebody gets up on stage true. and that personality blooms through, that's when it's really mm-hmm. exciting.
1: I agree. That's the most important element. Then everything else is an extra. If you have a great voice, terrific. Uh, if you have, uh, if you're, if you're, if you've got the package, you know, you're an attractive person, you know, uh, or can, or, or, or interesting looking, you know, so, so that you enjoy looking at that person. That's part of it too, of course. Uh, but, uh, but the main thing is just have the personality that, that, is, that loves the spotlight.
0: It's a little bit um like what happens on Broadway. I I see it on a regular basis. I know you do too, where you get sometimes a great singer who can't really act as opposed to a great actor who can't sing that well but is able to act their way through a part. I would rather see the yep. great actor who can sing some than Me the too. brilliant Me singer too. who can't act at all.
1: Absolutely. That is so true and uh and certainly, certainly we do that too. I'll, I'll I'll add one little thing we I'm sure we'll get back around to it at some point uh, in our conversation, but one of the thing, one of the concerts that we put on every year is a show called uh, Broadway's Rising Stars at Town Hall. And that show is, uh, we've done, I believe it's 13 of them every summer, uh, though probably not this summer. Uh, but it's <laughs> yeah. a show that uh, uh, where we audition kids coming up, young, young, young people in their 20s mostly, early 20s, coming out of performing arts schools all over the country. And it's essentially a national sh- showcase where we launch them into their careers. Mm. Uh, and, um, and we've had some extraordinary uh, successes out of that. Uh, Ali Stroker, who won the Tony Award last year, as Ado yes. Annie, uh, she, she was the girl in the wheelchair for better, lack of better expression, um, uh, was one of our rising stars. And there's a story behind that. But, uh, and the guy who's going to, to be the star of Lin-Manuel Miranda's uh, In the Heights on Broadway, he, was, he played the son in Hamilton, uh, And he's going to be playing Lin-Manuel Miranda's part in In the Heights in the movie. He's going to be a big movie star. Wow. Uh, uh, He was one of our rising stars. What's his Uh, name? Anthony Ramos. Okay. Uh, And uh, he was, people might remember him because they saw, um, um, oh gosh, what's the name of it? Um, with Lady Gaga, um,
0: the, the oh, okay. concert that was on uh, on no no on, no
1: the big, the movie the big movie uh, that Judy Garland was in and, oh uh,
0: Stars Born
1: Stars Born thank you so much uh, in in a Stars Born uh, he was Lady Gaga's best friend in in the club the guy with the band, oh yeah uh, and the bun in the back sure he sort of left the movie after about twenty minutes or so but he was prominently in it Uh and being, he, you know, it was amazing we're watching the movie he said, hey that's Anthony Ramos what's he doing in there <laughs> uh, but uh, and, anyway and not, and so, not
0: uh, just And not just in the movie, but with Lady Gaga, no less.
1: Lady (laughs) Gaga. The the point of this, of of finding these people and getting them started in their careers, some of them were great singers, some of them had wonderful personalities, some of them uh, were really wonderful actors, but didn't sing that well. But we would find it was matching the singer and the song together to make them uh, stand out on stage with whatever they
0: Right. Well, you know, you can go back and look at the history of theater and and you can find the easiest one to figure out is Rex Harrison, who couldn't sing a note, really. But he would act his way through those songs and he sold the heck out of it, you know. So that's what that's what made the difference. I'm going to ask you a really obvious question that that most people will understand. But for the listeners, why is it that this is so um, easily available and prominent in New York? What is it about New York?
1: That's that's actually a really good question, and it it isn't an obvious question, uh, although it should be. the 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 ancillary to that is why is it not as popular everywhere? Right. Uh, uh, But the uh, the I guess the answer is first of all the the performers are here, you know, uh, the people who do it. Because a lot of uh, it's only really since the advent of. uh, feinstein's fifty four below as a kind of as Broadway's nightclub uh that so many Broadway people have been doing it usually uh, before that the Broadway community kind of looked down its nose a little bit at 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 cabaret uh uh and but now they've they've really embraced it and it's the thing to do in between shows and and to sort of show the flag uh for performers but i guess I part of the reason is uh uh, you know, for the same reason that theater isn't as uh, uh, prominent everywhere, except in regional theaters and the occasional touring shows that that that, that go to the bigger big big theaters around the country. Right. Uh, that the, the the venues don't exist, and it's uh, and the other thing is 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 the fame issue. I think you know nightclubs existed more readily back in in the day when TV variety shows were everywhere, when. Uh, uh, you would be on the Ed Sullivan show or the Jack Parr show or or, or Michael Douglas or whatever. And you can get a certain am- amount of national fame relatively quickly mm-hmm. uh, by, by, by that. And there, there those venues, those, those ways to become a name don't exist anymore. So the names that are famous among New Yorkers that, you know, if Brian Stokes Mitchell in New York is a big name uh, and he tells a story about this, uh, you know, but outside of New York, you know, Nobody knows who he is, really. Right. Right. Uh, and he tells the story that he was in the cab on his way to Lincoln Center to, to perform in something, and he's warming up in the back of the cab. And uh, and this guy's a you know, two-time Tony Award winner, and he's head of the Actors Fund and all this stuff. Uh, and he's warming up in the back of the cab, and the cab driver says to him, "You know, uh, you know, uh, gee, you know, are you in show business?" And he says, "Yeah, yeah, I am." And, he, and the cab driver says, "Well, you keep working at it, you'll you'll make it. You sound pretty good." <laughs> Yeah but, I, uh, I saw
0: him in kiss me Kate with uh, Maren Mazzy just uh, yes. amazing amazing tr- yeah. tr- truly astonishing uh, all right so at, at what point how long ago was it that you started to put shows together what what, what triggered it? it was your I think you already alluded uh, well, to well it.
1: It, yeah it started as, actually it's, it's it's an odd uh again you know putting the dots but going backwards you wouldn't you wouldn't think of it but um, as a film person, having written the Encyclopedia of Hollywood and all that stuff, as I mentioned before, um, I was teaching a film class at Town Hall, um, and it was there. The, these classes still exist, but they, they they were basically you would get a movie before it opened, uh, and and we had we had about 700 members in this thing, which was the li- biggest one in New York because we had the biggest venue in New York, was Town Hall, seats 1500 right. people, right and uh uh and we would get a movie before it opened and get guests like a director or a star or a producer and interview them and the f- and the film companies would give you the movies for free as a, as a p- promotion to get word of mouth out from the people who were real serious cinephiles uh and uh so i was doing that for at that point about 3 years or so 2 or 3 years and uh and they liked me at Town Hall. I was good with the audience. And, uh, and we, you know, I would introduce the movie. I would do the Q&As. And, um, and at that time, Town Hall, which is on 43rd Street, you know, right in the heart of uh, the theater district. Right. Uh, but they didn't have any theater programming. They were doing opera. They were doing third world music. They were doing a lot of jazz but not nothing theater related. So they said to me, and they, they knew I was related to the theater. They knew me from the movie stuff, but they knew I was a, th- a theater critic and all the rest. So they said, can we have a meeting? Uh, we'd like to get some theater programming, we need an idea. So I had a meeting with them and I, and I suggested the idea of Broadway by the Year. It didn't have a the title then, but the idea of Broadway by the Year, uh, which is essentially, taking one year of Broadway, the history of Broadway, and bringing today's stars to sing the songs that were born on Broadway in that year.
0: What a lovely Uh, idea. That's a lovely idea. Well,
1: (laughs) a lovely idea. It was a good idea, I have to say. And uh, they, uh, they said, that's a fabulous idea. Why don't you do it? And I said, well, okay, I would love to do it. Thank you for the offer. But I have to tell you up front, I've never produced anything at all in my life, not even, a, not even a puppet show in the backyard from my parents, <laughs> never did anything. And they said, well, yeah, but we see you're, you're, you're a smart guy and it's your idea and, and, and we like how you are with the audience. You have a good rapport, why don't you do it? And I said, thank you. Went home to my wife and I said, I'm gonna do this thing. And she said, you're out of your mind. <laughs> you have no experience with anything like this, you're gonna die, you're gonna get killed, your reputation will be destroyed. I said, yeah, but it's, 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 it should be fun to do. And I have an idea how to do it. And, and in fact, while it's changed dramatically from the very first one through all these 20 years, this, the core idea has never changed, which was that being a little bit of a ham, more than a little bit of a ham, uh, uh, with no talent, mind you, but a ham nonetheless, <laughs> uh, that I would host these shows and tell the history of, of, uh, of, uh, of the year and the songs and, and, and introduce everything. So I was on stage. One of the reasons I wanted to be on stage was I, I love the performers. I love that. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm a relatively short person. And I always like to sit up front because there was heads in front of me and I'm bobbing and weaving to see things. Right. And I thought on stage, I won't miss a thing. I'll have the best seat in the house. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, that's slightly facetious, but a little bit true. Uh, <laughs> but again, you know, I had no experience doing it. I just wanted to do it. And, uh, the first show, the, the idea was to do two shows as an experiment uh, within the Not Just Jazz. It was a series called Not Just Jazz that Town Hall had. So we booked two shows in, within that season of Not Just Jazz, and this was 20 years ago. I hired three people who, again, and this comes back to what I said about Barbara, that we went to see everything. And uh, uh, I hired Heather Cray was uh, Gordon and Sheila McCray's daughter, who right. was a cabaret star back then. She was in Hair originally on, on, on Broadway. Uh, Jason Grah, who's, who is uh, a wonderful uh, musical theater comedy guy. For sure. And, uh, uh, and Sally Mays, who is a, a, a Tony nominee. So I had the three of them, and, and a, a, a pianist and a bass player, and me. That was the whole thing. Uh, and we, and the core of it, as, always, as has always been, I decided to do uh, uh, that, that you needed a famous year as a core where there would be show or shows that, were the, that would anchor it, that you know you 'd have some famous songs that the audience could really hang on to. You had something to sell around all the rest of Broadway that people may not remember or know, but they had famous songs in them, but maybe the shows were not so famous. So we did 1943 as the first show, which was the year of, uh, of uh, Oklahoma. As the as our core, and uh, and again, <laughs> an inexperienced you know producer at that time, uh, I uh, uh, Jason Grohl lives lives in L.A. and uh, and it was and this was show was in February, and and he said, well, I can only come on the day of the show, and I can't rehearse it during the week before, but I can rehearse it the week before the week. I said, great, I love you, I want to have you. So we rehearsed the whole thing for a week and then shut it down for a week. And then and not thinking we have no understudies. It's February, he's got to fly in the winter. What could go wrong? You what know?
0: could go wrong? <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, happily, we didn't have a snowstorm, and it was, you know, but he, he did, took the red eye and so he had not slept the night before he arrives in the morning and we have to we have rehearsal in the afternoon. So he was exhausted and we go through the whole thing. And, and because he was tired, uh, every time he left the stage, he took the microphone with him, you know, rather than leave it for the next performer. So it became an ongoing gag throughout the whole thing. They had to come back with the microphone. And, you know, it was just live entertainment, you know, and it was hilarious because he was very funny. And, uh, and the show, uh, oh, I did tell you this other part. So <laughs> it's five minutes before this first show. I've never been on a stage. And certainly it's just my first show. And it's in a 1500 seat theater. It's bigger than most Broadway houses. And I look out, out of the stage left curtain, I said, "My God, this theater's filling up! This, it was. not full full. It was like eight nine hundred people. Uh, that's, which, that's, so, a lot, that's a so, lot. That's a lot of people. A lot of people that come for something that they would never heard of. Before. Sure. For and uh, uh, and 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 I literally started to quake. I was terrified. I was shaking so much. I mean, literally shaking like it was an earthquake going on inside of me. And I, said, I can't go out there like that. You know, I, that's it's. I just can't go out there like that. So I said to myself. Uh, I really had to talk myself down out of my, my terror. And um, it's not about me. They're not coming for me. They don't know who I am. Uh, I hired wonderful people. They're coming for them. And I feel absolutely secure about them. I know they're going to be great. So calm down. It's not about you. I just took myself out of the equation and I stopped quaking and I've actually never been nervous since Uh not wow, wow. there. And I just, I, and, and the way it's evolved is uh, because I'm not a, Performer, I always make mistakes and I fump for a little bit here and there and, and I'm not smooth in, in the way a, a slick performer or an MC would be. But, uh, but the audience sees themselves in me. You know, uh, this is how I perceive it anyway. And that I'm their representative on stage. I represent the love they have for this stuff. And uh, so they, they forgive me all kinds of stuff. Uh, and and uh, they see that my love of this is the same as their love of it. And, and, and so we're all in it together. Uh, so anyway, so we did this first show and, and, it, and it, was, it was lovely. It was really fun and, and great. And we, did the, and we did the second one, which was 1957, the year of uh, uh, West Side Story. Yeah. Right. And um, so uh, the uh, New York Times came to that show and uh and again we had about eight nine hundred people but it wasn't a money review and, and we didn't invite them you know, Stephen holden from the new york times came because he, he knew us from the movie world you know just showed there. just
0: showed up he wasn't he even invited
1: up. well he, I, I didn't invite him you know he just came uh maybe town hall did. i did and uh but he wrote a a a good review not a money review but a good review but it's actually a fabulous review for me <laughs> uh, <laughs> about the script that that that, that encompassed all the whole thing. And, uh, you know, big picture in the Times and all the rest. And uh, so then so the town hall says to me, okay, we got a review in the Times. The audiences are coming in sufficient quantity to justify doing this. I said, all right, so if we're going to do it and go on with this, it needs its own name. We've got to take it out of this series and make it its own series. And I came up with the name Broadway by the Year. And I said to them, um, you've got, uh, as a marketing thing, I had a cousin who went to the, who was a football giants, uh New York football giants guy, and, and he had season tickets to it. And he always had those tickets. He never gave them up. And I said, okay, the way we got to do this is we offer seats and we guarantee to the people who buy them in this first year that if they get those seats, they get to keep them. They don't have to then reapply for new seats every season so that if you got great seats, you get to keep them. Cause as I said, I'm a seat freak. I like to sit where I like to sit. Right. And, and, and I know there are other people who feel that way. Uh, and sure enough, that was one of the keys to the thing because we had, after 17 years, we had a, a party after the 17th season of Broadway by the Year, invited all the original subscribers. And there were 200 original subscribers after 17 years who were still with the series and died, had moved to Florida, you know, whatever. And, and people were amazed, there were that many people who had stuck with it that whole time, never missing a year. Uh, and, and for them, Every time they went to, to, they knew all their seatmates and it was like, it was like going to summer camp, you know, because they knew everybody around them because they were all original subscribers. So uh, I, I'm not sure where it <laughs> started, but uh, the point is it, it, it became a success. That's how I got into, into doing this stuff. So uh, at somewhere along the way, as also a critic during all of this time, uh, we would go to Feinstein's at the Regency among all the other, clubs that we were covering. And so we got to know Michael Feinstein because we were there all the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, one day he says to, to me and my wife, he says, why don't you come up with an idea for the club? We'd love for you to, you know, we love what you do at Town Hall, you know, why don't you come up with a, with a club act for Feinstein's the Regency, which is at the Regency Hotel on the on the upper side. And uh, I was very flattered, uh, but I didn't have any idea. I'd never, I'd only done big concerts. I'd never done anything in a, in a small room. Uh, so after about, I don't know, um, two months, I suddenly sat up in bed and I said, I have it. 11 o'clock numbers at 11 o'clock. Nice. And, uh, and, and Michael loved the idea, the Regency loved the idea. And so I hired three people who've become very big stars in our, in our world. Uh, uh, again, because I knew them from the, from the cabaret world and, and, and the theater world. Right. I hired uh, uh, Scott Coulter, uh, Christina Bianco, I'll tell you about in a minute, and uh and Carol J. Buffer, all of whom I've really I
0: love I love Christina Bianco, she's fantastic.
1: Yeah, everybody does. <laughs> right. So uh I hired them and we did the show every Thursday night, same show, every Thursday night at eleven o'clock for eight months. Nobody does that anymore. Not nobody even did that then because it was it was the same show, same stars, no guest stars, it was just that, And it was uh, and I will say this modestly, I hope, not boastfully, but that really sort of a contemporary legend because it was such a great show. People just kept coming back to it and back to it and back. We had one person who saw it 12 times. We had people who came whenever they came from from out of state. We had a guy from Detroit who used to come. Whenever he came to into New York, he would come to see the show again um, uh, because the performers were great. And we had a real chance to hone the show uh, because we were doing it over and over again. Sure. Well, yeah. uh, after 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 the Regency closed, we ended up doing it at Birdland as an annual show, uh, which sold out every every time we did it. Uh, and then we did it at Feinstein's uh, uh, Feinstein's Slash 54 Below, and and, and it did great. Um, and and then they all three of them became such big stars. I could never get them back together again at the same time. Without, you know, <laughs> So I did a new version of that with three contemporary fabulous people: Brian, Charles, Rooney, Farrah Alvin and this young girl, who's who we found through the Rising Star show that I mentioned, uh, Mia Jarakas. And we've done that uh, at Feinstein's at, the region, at Feinstein's 54 Below several times, and we've taken it out of state uh, uh, to do it in, in places around the country. Uh, so we have two versions of that. But the point of it is is that uh, that's how I got started doing nightclub shows because All right, Michael so, invited me. So-
0: So that gives us a great back back
1: answer to the question. (laughs) Yeah, no, that was a
0: great, it was a great answer. It gives us a lot of background on how, you know, where this came from and how, how it built, at least a little bit of how it built. What I want to go back and talk about is how you actually put the show together, how each iteration of it is done. So where do you start? What's the first? So you pick a year, right? Broadway by the year. Broadway by the year. Let's let's use Broadway by the year as the exemplar of this. So uh, you, you pick a year, whatever year it is. Now, do you right. you are very familiar with lots of shows, but you probably have to sit down and really look at what shows there were. That I've got to
1: year. research. Sure. Absolutely. And it was a great learning curve. You know, I mean, people think I know all this stuff, but I don't. I mean, it's just, as you say, you have to research it and, 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 and create something out of it. And, and how um, long does
0: that take you? What's that research time usually like?
1: oh god that's really hard to say you know it's sort of like you know when Richard Rodgers would say you know you know that he wrote a song in, in 20 minutes but he said it took a lifetime to think of how it would, it would it would you know uh how to do it uh so I can't really answer that uh I mean to write the show you know might take a few days or so but it's after doing the research and, and learning about uh the year and, and 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 looking up each each show one of the things we learned was was that there are two audiences for Broadway by the year to to boil it down. One is the nostalgia audience who wants to hear the songs they know and love. Mm -hmm. And they don't really want to hear stuff they don't know. Uh, They want to hear everything that they love. And that's the maybe three quarters or 80% of the audience. And then there's another smaller but important part of the audience, which doesn't want to hear the same old, same old. They want to hear songs that they never get to hear that are from that year. And they they want to get deeper into the history and uh, and 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 rediscover stuff, uh, uh, and 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 in some sense, the smaller one is the one that drives the show because they're the real fans, you know, not the casual fans. Uh, but you need the bigger part because they're the ones who pay for the whole thing, you know. Uh, <laughs> And and that was a real learning process in the beginning because I just wanted to do the songs I loved and the songs that we discovered that were great songs, but maybe not so famous. So, you know, we would get subscribers and then have to kind of cajole them to stay because it's well, I don't know these songs. I never heard of this, you know? And uh, and you have, you know, when you're hearing a song you don't know, it's harder to track it, you know, uh, if you're hearing it one time in a concert. So it was a real learning process. and, And the things that I thought were famous that everybody would know didn't necessarily you know, weren't necessarily known by by the large part of the audience like well, i would, sure like anyone can whistle and i thought oh everybody knows that song and it yeah. turns out no not so much yeah right uh, sure. but so that was a learning process do, um,
0: do, do you do you have to then go and obter- obtain rights or are you just doing
1: how are, no no and- because town hall has the rights. Town, town hall has all the licenses to 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 do songs uh you know from ascap and bmi and all that so so no i didn't have to have to do that uh, all right so, so now we, so
0: so when you sit down to write the show you you've now selected songs based on whatever year that is you right. have decided this show that show this show is that show about how many shows are represented each year approximately
1: well in the beginning they would town hall would warn me the subscriptions are down what are you going to do and you'd have to reinvent it and change it because it's evolved a lot like i said we had three stars and in, uh, in the first show some of the casts in, in, in recent years has been as high as 40 people in, uh, wow. in the show between. We, we've added um, dance to the show. Uh, around the sixth or seventh year, we added dance to it. So it became, it became not a concert, but a show. I mean, I think it's an important distinction uh, when, when it become, became like that. We had, uh, we've had huge dance troupes in it. We, I, we added a chorus to it so that we could do big production numbers and not just solos and duets and stuff. Uh, and, and Town Hall doesn't have a big backstage, so to get 40 people backstage and them on and off the stage is, 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 is a big endeavor. Uh, yeah, but it, it, it's evolved and, and, and there's different, every, every uh, I guess i put it like this, as soon as I thought that the audience was getting too familiar with the formula, I would change the formula uh, and, and do something different. Uh, but, it, to, but in the beginning, at least to answer your question, uh, I, I, would, I, would pick a, I would pick a year research that year and the fun part for us is myself and the and the musical director Ross Patterson who has been my musical director for 20 years the whole wow. 20 years he was the first one and been with us the whole time fabulous musician we would play through every song from that year we would get the sheet music and and play through everything and say that's a great song let's keep that Man, this is not so good we're not gonna, and there's a, a safe pile and a throwout pile and it was always the same kind of thing. Like you'd play something and say, wait, who wrote that? That's fabulous. Oh, Irving Berlin wrote that. Of course it's fabulous. You know, <laughs> everything would rise to the top, you know, that. And every now and then we'd come across a song that we didn't know uh, by somebody we didn't know. And, it, and it's what a wonderful song. We really need to do that. Great story about that is uh, you can probably know, you will know who this is, Nancy Anderson, she's a yeah. three-time Drama Desk nominee. And um, she wasn't not so well known at the time. Uh, when we first used her, and and um, we had a we had a show, on um, a f- in New York's famous blizzard of 2003, uh, and it was also Stephanie J. Block's first show in New York. Oh, wow. I hired her. I was the first person to hire her in New York. Uh, she'd come from California, and um, and it was a blizzard, and. Uh, our shows were on Monday nights when most shows were not on. And uh, even the Phantom of the Opera did not go on that night. They were always on Mondays. but They didn't go on because of the blizzard. But Town Hall said to me, you can go on if you can get your cast assembled. Uh, and, and Stephanie was, uh, was living in New Jersey. I, to this day, I don't know how she got to, uh, to us. Was, but somehow we, we assembled the cast. And somehow or other 400 people out of the sold out 1,500 managed to get to, to Town Hall.
0: That's amazing. My,
1: it remains my favorite show of all time because they were the hottest audience you could ever imagine. They were so proud of themselves for having gotten there. Well,
0: they were clearly determined <laughs> to see a show that night and <laughs> they were going to enjoy loved, themselves. They
1: love <laughs> Broadway by the <laughs> <laughs> But uh, Nancy did the show that we have found. Uh, the, the title of the song was it Don't Mean Nothing to Me uh, from a show called Naughty Cinderella 1925. That was well, the year, 1925. 19- and so nobody had heard of the show ever. Nobody had heard of the song ever. And uh and and she had worked we had worked up this performance of this thing that stopped the show. She, it just absolutely stopped the show. It's brilliant. And uh and and you never stop the show with a song nobody's ever heard of, you know. Uh that's that's the hardest thing in the world to do. But she did. And Town Hall was very nice about this because all the subscribers were mad because they there were another, you know, um, uh, 1,100 who didn't get to see it, uh, so they decided to redo the show in in June uh, and offer the subscribers a chance to see it again. We couldn't cast everybody the same, everybody was available, uh, but Nancy was in it, as was uh, Stephanie Block, and um, and we did it again, and Nancy stopped the show again with the same song, and uh, and it's my favorite story about the power of performance, you know, even when, when the people don't know it. But uh, uh, the key to, to the series has always been, once you know what the music is, you have to cast the show to fit the songs. You need the right singer to do the right song. I'm, I, I made early mistakes and learned that uh, very quickly, that that was the key. And in fact, I mean, I think it was one of the things that, that Stephen, Holden, oh, I did the other part of the Stephen Holden story was after we decided to do Broadway by the Year for Real and have its own its own name and, and its own series and, and with, it, with people being able to keep their seats, uh, we decided we would do four concerts a year uh, and, and that remained the same. And uh, the first concert of the f- second season, which was the first time it was called Broadway by the year, Stephen Holden came back from the Times. And this was a money review. We did the Broadway musicals in 1933 uh and that was a real money review and the subscriptions just flew and wow. that became the basis of of our success was that first year in that 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 core subscription uh list that came out of that uh, and uh uh so god bless Stephen holden for coming and trusting uh and and uh, uh it, and and from there on in you know we we were we were we were flying
0: well I, you know you're you're describing this uh, the way that it builds, which I think is important for listeners to understand that it's rare when something you do it once and you've hit it out of the park so far that you then are set forever. It takes a while for audiences to become familiar with the show and to to build to it, which I think is um, exactly what you're describing. And obviously you've been doing it for a while and it's highly successful and well-regarded. Um, I'm just curious about the writing of the show again. Are you mostly concentrating on history of the shows? Or is it just interstitial material between the numbers? What is it that you're writing?
1: That's a good question. Uh, the, way I, the way I do it is this. Uh, because it's about a year, I like to set context. So I, have, I usually have an opening monologue before. and Sometimes we start with the song, sometimes start with me. But either way, I do the same thing at the beginning when I first come out. And that is sort of talk about the year itself. And I always mm-hmm. start sort of on the cosmic level and then work my way down slowly to, to Broadway and the shows. But, it's, but in this opening monologue, I will talk about the year, what was going on in 1925, uh, uh, internationally, then nationally, then locally in New York, then the things like the fun little trivia fun things like what was invented that year? What were the prices of things that year? Um, stuff like that, that, that engaged you, you know, when you, when you discovered that, you know, uh, uh, like in 1965, for instance, uh, uh, was the first year that, uh, vending machines, soda vending machines existed. Uh, wow. It was the first year that it was the year that Gatorade, uh, uh, the, the Slurpee and Gatorade were, were invented. Uh, uh, Things like that, Um, and 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 that uh, the minimum wage was a dollar a dollar an hour, Uh, but you could go to Harvard for seventeen hundred dollars a year, you know, instead of two million, (laughs) whatever it's now. (laughs) But uh, uh, you know, so so it's stuff like that that really engages the audience, and and that that sense of nostalgia, like what was going on, that because a lot of this this series. It's really kind of a, an insider thing. Tourists don't really know about it, but New Yorkers do. And people in the tri-state area do. We have, I have, I, I, I love the fact that there are people who fly in for this show. We have a guy who uh, works for an airline who lives in California who's a subscriber, and he uses his his ability as a, as a guy who works for the airline to fly in and see these shows. <laughs> and he's a, a subscriber. From the beginning. Have a, there was a couple who lives in in Ohio, and whenever they come in, they come they come to see Broadway by the year, and and so there's this real loyal following for it. But uh, but the writing of it starts with that, and we work our way down to uh, um, to 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 the city, what was going on. Like 1965 was the year of the famous blackout, in 1965, uh, and uh, that the whole Northeast corridor went out during rush hour uh, uh, one summer night, uh, and for several days after that. Uh, and you know, and the audience, we go, oh, I remember that. <laughs> you, know, I, you know, one of the things I always love is when the when you can hear the audience reaction. You know, when, when they remember something. And I remember when that happened. I, I said, ah, oh, you guys are all dating yourselves now. Because <laughs> uh, one of the one of the pleasures of doing this in the moment with the audience is is I have a script, but I ad lib off of the script all the time based on what the audience gives you. You know, when they react to something. Sure. So so uh, there there's a real sense of, of communication back and forth with them all right so Remember so what once, would you, what
0: yeah. would you say are the are the biggest challenges that you go through every year, and how do you solve them?
1: oh gosh, the biggest challenges are uh, uh is it
0: casting and getting people in is it
1: oh uh, yes, I mean because uh, you know, this is a one night only event, and and when somebody gets another gig and it's a money gig, I mean, I pay everybody, but I can't possibly pay them, you know, out of a one night gig what they might get if they get a, a TV commercial or they get cast in a Broadway show right, or a sure. regional. Of course. So, uh, this particular case, I had a show on on this Monday night, whatever month it was, and I had another Broadway by the year four weeks later. Uh, and uh, um, so I announced the cast. I said, These six stars are going to be in a show next month and I lost every single one of them (laughs) They all got gigs I had to recast entire thing uh, on the fly I mean that that's always the biggest challenge when somebody gets sick or 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 something happens and you have to recast in the moment I did a show once where um, we did a Jerome Kern show was that I should add parenthetically that um, because Broadway by the year was very successful we started to do a lot of other shows at Town Hall that were spin-offs of one kind or another um, I mean, at one point I was doing 12 shows a year at Town Hall. Uh, four of them were Broadway by the year and there were all these other things I was doing. One of them was a show devoted to Drumkern, And we had the guy who played uh, Joe, uh, who sang Old Man River in the most recent revival at that time uh, at Lincoln Center, uh, had, had done it. And he, he would, had a lot of uh, uh, cachet for having done it. Great, big baritone voice. And, uh, and I knew he was on a boat that was coming up the, the, um, uh, the East Coast. And he was going to be docking in New York on the day of our show. He was going to come from, from the boat and sing Old Man River, get back on the boat and go back on wow. you know, the coast. You know, that's the, the, the nature of the casting is you should get the best people and then you work it out. On the, day, on the day of the show, he calls me and says, I'm here, but this was right after 9-11. He said, because of Homeland Security, I'm not allowed to leave the boat and, and, and go back on the boat. And uh, if I do, it's going to be a $700 fine. I said, well, I haven't got a budget for that. I can't do that. <laughs> so said, how do you do a Jerome Kern show without Old Man River? You know? uh, so here it is that afternoon of the show. And all these white people on the cast I'll sing it. I'll sing it. I said, no, you can't sing it. You can't do that. And uh, I said, what if we do a group, a group version? Said, no, that's not going to work. And at that point I had a director and the director was freaking out. And, uh, you know, and I said, well, we'll figure it out. Don't worry. We'll figure it out. I mean, one of the, one of the things I, I think I've always brought to this is a sort of calm at the center was I always believe whatever you do, you'll work it out. Something, sure. will, something like that. And, uh, you know, what? One, Go, one going, perform-
0: going back, going back just a half a step, what you're doing is, is you're imposing, as we talked about earlier, your persona on the evening and that persona is a calm, steady hand. And, and whatever you put on, the audience will love anyway.
1: That, well, that's always the hope. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I'm sorry, go on.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you. So one of the performers, Ron Bomer, who's become somewhat famous in other theater things, uh, said, hey, I've got a friend of mine who's, who sang the song on the road. Uh, I think he's up in Harlem now. I don't think he's working. I said, his name was Roosevelt something. I can't remember his, his whole name at the moment, but he, uh, he said, I said, call him. Let's see if he's free to do it. He called him up, he got him. And he said, the guy would do it if I just paid his cab fare. <laughs> I said, done. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he, show, he couldn't get there until after the tech was over. So, uh, and, and this is a union, town hall is a union house. He couldn't rehearse it on the stage, but we could do it in, in the hall, you know? And uh, I said, can you do it cappella without, you know, not cappella? can you do it without a microphone off mic? Um, unplugged as we call it and he said sure you know, he had a big voice and said that will be thrilling so we rehe- we didn't get him get a chance to rehearse it on the stage he had the overalls the whole thing he looked like he was like born for the part and uh he came out he said, and he stopped the show with it and, and the director at the time I won't say who it was he said uh I've learned a huge lesson from this you know that that to be calm and things will work out and he's since become a very successful director. I had given him his first director jobs before that. He had directed for me a few times and, and he's become a very successful director. And, and, and he, he corrects me uh, for, for, for giving him that sense of, uh, don't worry, it'll work out, just relax.
0: Yeah, that's the magic of the theater. It always somehow works out. I don't know how, but it almost always does. Um, <laughs> I, I'd like to chat for just a moment or two about Michael Feinstein. So sure. have you actually um, created shows for him?
1: Yes, that was, yeah, he's been a great gift to me, not only in in, uh, giving me the opportunity to start doing shows at uh, nightclubs, uh, which has become a big part of what I do besides the big concert stuff. Um, He was very generous, he's a lovely guy. Uh, And uh, what happened was uh, Lincoln Center decided to uh, to start doing a series of uh, shows in what they, that time was called The Allen Room, it has a different name now. But it's about a 400 seat theater that overlooks Central Park, a big picture window behind, him. and um, and he wanted, because he's a busy guy, he's on the road all the time, he wanted somebody to help him put these shows together, and he knew what I was doing for him and elsewhere, and uh, he said, would you produce, write, and direct the show shows for me, and I was very flattered, uh, and uh, actually he said yes and uh And so, for about two years, I did that until they decided they needed to go in house They were losing money and they 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 needed to not have have uh, an in house person they wanted to have an in house person do it and uh but it was a great experience for me because uh uh, uh what what <laughs> Yeah, this this sound might sound terrible but but I do what Michael Feinstein does without his talent. I mean, I do everything he does except sing <laughs> and play the piano uh, but the shows are very similar. He talks about the history of Broadway or or the history of the music and uh, so we we would have these long late night conversations when we were working on the on the cho- choices of uh of material. we would go through material and uh, say let 's do that and I would do a principal uh casting you know from he knew people he would suggest to people and i'd say hey but you don't know this one you should use so and so and so uh i brought him jesse mueller for the first time mm. uh who is now obviously a big star but she was not a big star then and i i, I put them in touch uh uh, people like that. So it, it was a great opportunity for me to say to Michael, here are these great people you don't know because you're not in New York all the time. And these are people I know from my experience and, and, and they would be great in these things. There was a wonderful singer by the name of Laurie White, who he met because of me, who, um, uh, was a, a three time Grammy award winner uh, from Nashville. Hmm. Uh, and she was fantastic. Uh, and he used her all the time after that. Um, uh, so, I mean, I, I one of, one of the things that I've always loved about my shows is that it became a springboard for people to get other opportunities. Uh, I could only take somebody so far. I can give them a town hall stage or, or a show with Michael Feinstein, but I can't make them internationally famous, but I can give them a stepping stone. I can give them an opportunity to be seen by other people. Sure. And, well, uh, well, everybody has to
0: start, everybody has to start somewhere and you're that somewhere.
1: Well, I'm I'm somewhere uh, I'm not at the oh, bottom of the rung. I'm somewhere in the middle rung where people you can be, use it as a springboard to get other jobs. And, sure. And whenever somebody says I got a job because of what I because I was seen, um, you know that that I, I beam over that stuff. I love that.
0: So what, what inspires you now? What what uh, what makes you keep going on this? Why do you keep doing this? What is the inspiration?
1: You know, it's <laughs> you know I started out as a writer uh uh and uh, so i loved writing i love telling stories and uh but writing is a lonely endeavor it is indeed. Uh, and Yes, you know, uh, so getting the opportunity to do this with people and, and getting immediate rather than, you know, when you write a book, you never know what anybody thinks. I, 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 one time saw somebody reading one of my books while they were walking on the street and I actually followed them for blocks and blocks. <laughs> then you know, as a stalker because I was so, my God, he's reading one of the books we wrote. It's amazing. You know, I mean, that's the closest I got to, to an interaction with somebody who was reading in the moment. Uh, but, uh. <laughs> but this, you know, if it works right away, you know, you put it on the stage and people either laugh or they applaud, you know, wildly and, sure. and you know, you know, instantly if it works or not, you know, the audience tells you everything. And, uh, so the immediate gratification is, is a wonderful thing. So I love doing it. Uh, so I, I mean, I went from writing books to, 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 to being a critic, which was, and which I still am. You know, my wife and I are still columnists covering, covering theater. Uh, but, uh, uh, so we get to see everybody still you know but the uh the the that but creating the shows is 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 so much fun and it's always different everything is different all the time i mean right. uh, in a bad way the 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 virus that has has put everybody out of business is is at the same time i always like to say to my wife you know terrible things provide opportunities and, you know you just have to look for where the opportunity is so what we're doing now uh are these these uh uh, concerts that are not live streamed because I saw all the problems with live streaming, all the blackouts, all the technical things that could go wrong and always do. Um, uh, and I said, well, why don't we, you know, have people record their stuff? Cause all the theater companies, they're giving everything away. Here's this thing for free, you know, cause they want to engage their audience. They, they feel like they need to do something to, 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 to participate and help. You know, everybody's at home. Let's give them something to watch. And, uh, And I think that's all wonderful. It's a great thing, except these are also the people who are out of work and need to help the most. So I had what, what uh, appears to be a a rather original idea in this time, in in this time and in, in, in our lives, which is to actually pay performers to perform. Yep. Uh, And I've seen, I've seen, I did uh, did a GoFundMe campaign.
0: I've seen three of your shows on the online shows. They're fantastic. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Uh, so, i just I decided i would do this gofundme campaign and see if i can get money ahead of time so people weren't begging for money and you know, tip me please because i'm performing They say you're going to get paid and here's money for it right you know on the on the on the, the barrel head and and these lovely generous people who do have have been able to keep their jobs or people who have savings whatever who, who who love who love this world have have donated whether it's $10 or $500 or, or anything in between. And, and at this point I've collected about $13,000. Wow. The funding campaign. And I've been able to do the fourth concert will be coming out shortly after, you know, I know this is tape, but it'll be out after uh, the stairs. Uh, and I think I have enough money to go to a fifth. So I'll keep doing them as long as I can keep raising money. So I hire people to, to perform and they, there are a lot of limitations of course, because they can only perform at home, and they, yeah. a lot of them, they don't either. If they happen to play the ukulele, uh, or they're 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 part they're they're quarantining with somebody who plays the piano, great. Otherwise, we do it remotely. You know, we, we somebody will pro, we found people who will play for them and send them the music electronically, and then they, they we put it together. And so it's, it's 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 what we used to call live on tape. And uh, and then I do the same thing I do with all my shows. I, I I impose myself on them uh, by providing in introductions and, and, uh, and introduce, I, I record my stuff and put it in front of each thing. So each performance is not compared to the one before it. Everyone has its own, its own sure. sort of some place uh, without.
0: You're, you're, uh, provide, you're providing introductions and interstitial material, just like you, you do that. probably in a bigger way on the, on the bigger show.
1: Pretty, yeah. Yeah. My formula has never really changed uh, that much as far as that goes, because that's the kind of a unique thing. Most people don't do that. It's a concert, but mine's sort of a concert with, and, and the information I give is not meant to be uh uh, academic or anything. It's meant to be entertaining yeah, and of course. and uh, and informative at the same time without being too long. I always like to think of it as cocktail chatter, the kinds of stories you might say, oh, I heard this funny thing or this interesting thing about such and such, uh, and that they could take that away from it. Uh, uh, and I never try to talk too long. I always keep the same thing in mind that I kept from that very beginning. They're not coming about me, they're coming about the performers, But I but I provide a little... Uh, Jewel setting for each uh, for each performance. Well, well, Um, if I'm
0: if I may say so, I think that you have it at the at the exact length between performances. It's it's like less a minute or so of just a little bit of background and who these people are, and then off they go. Because a huge number of the people that I've seen in your shows are not what you would call household names, and they they need a little bit of introduction.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean you wanna know, you know, why are they there? Who are they? What did they do that that they deserve this this spot in the show? So it's nice to be able to tell people, you know, it's a three time drama desk nominee, or or they starred in six Broadway shows. You may not have heard of them, but they're they're the real deal, you know. So so it's it's nice to be able to give them their credits, give give the credit to the performers to the audience. To the audience knows, hey, this is a special person. I I don't know who they are, but boy, they're really great.
0: So, uh, so we, believe it or not, we've been chatting for almost an hour, um, and uh, we're going to wind this uh, wind this thing down a little bit. And uh, so, I'm wondering—you've already told us a couple of fantastic, strange, oddball, quirky, funny stories. I'm wondering, do you have one in particular that you've uh, you have, might have in your your back pocket of something that happened or that was very funny that uh, you can share with the audience?
1: Um, I've sort of told one of them already, which is that 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 19, uh that snowstorm story, but uh, that's another thing that uh, it depends if you know who he is. And I mean, you don't have to know, but there's a, uh, it's a four, I think it's four time Tony nominee, Mark Kudish. Yes. Who, who, who who was in our shows a lot, uh, for a period of time. And he's been on TV a lot. He he was in, uh, been, I mean, he's he's a Broadway star. He's got a lot of TV and everything, but, um, uh, and, and an extraordinarily reliable performer. The audience loved him. Uh, loves him. And, uh, and this was the one time he was doing a number and it was going off the rails. And, uh, uh, and I'm, and I'm on stage watching this, you know? And, and by the way, I mean, and he's, just, he's got these great bull legs. He looks like an old cowboy performer because his knees are bad, you know? And, and uh, <laughs> uh, so he has this sort of bull-legged thing. And I'm, say, I'm saying this for, for a reason because he's doing this number and he's, he's, he's just off the rails. It's not going well, he's not winning the audience over. And I'm watching him in the moment, figuring it out, how to get him back. And, uh, and, and at the end of the number, to my astonishment, he did a full split on these horrible legs, you know, and nobody thinks of him as a dancer at all. And he did this incredible split. And I, if, if my jaw could hit the ground, it would have, because I couldn't believe he had done that. But he, it's, it's the idea of a performer will do anything to win, you know. And, <laughs> and, 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 and he did. The audience went nuts. And I thought, my God, what a thing. It was extraordinary that he would go to that length to, to – uh, to, to get that audience back. He was, he was so, so intent upon winning that moment. Uh, I've never forgotten. It was just amazing.
0: Well, it, I, I don't, have never met him, but I know lots of people who know him and always oh. rave Mark Kudish. He's always um, thought of very highly in, in, uh, in the theater world for sure. Oh, Broadway world. Yes. All right. So last question for you. Um, do you have a solid piece of advice or a tip for those who are trying to break into the business? Um, and what it is that they can you know, help their career go, or maybe somebody who's in a little bit, but trying to get to the next level.
1: Uh, sure, I, I, if I may, this is a little longish and also digressive. Uh, That's fine. Tell a, a, a metaphorical story, uh, which, which I tell actually every year to the people in the Broadway's Rising Stars concert that I mentioned that we did every summer with, with people coming out of performing arts schools. Uh, when, I, when I was a, a much younger, I hitchhiked around the country, and I was in Northern California, and I got picked up by this old couple in a Cadillac. Uh, I was not, I'm, I'm a little guy and uh, not threatening, so people picked me up. I did very well as a hitchhiker. Uh, and uh, they took me, they were on their way to a rodeo, this little local rodeo in Ruth, California, up in the mountains in Northern California. And they took me as their guest to see the rodeo. And uh, so now they're going back the way they came uh, and I'm still going the other direction. So the, the rodeo was say goodbye to them and I'm hitchhiking my way out. I got picked up by the Brahma bull rider from the rodeo and his girlfriend in their truck. And I said to the guy, how do you practice being a Brahma bull rider? And he said, you can't practice it. You can only do it at the rodeo. Wow! And I thought that later on, I thought to myself, that's the perfect metaphor for show business. You can't do it at home. You have to be in front of an audience. You have to you have got to have, you gotta do it. The only way to get better is to do it. And uh, harkening back to that 11 o'clock numbers uh, with the three stars who started out, they were not famous, none of them then. But the fact that they got to do that every week for eight months, every Thursday night, gave them an extraordinary level of, of experience of getting on on stage all the time and honing their craft. Carol J. Bufford's one of the handful of people who has become a, uh, somebody who makes a living as a performer. Scott Coulter does symphony stuff all over the world now uh with his own company uh and, and christina bianco uh, not only has about 40 million views on youtube uh, in the voices that she does she does uh strikes uh, and impressionist but she, but she yes but she also played fanny bryce in the first production of funny girl in paris just right before the the, the virus hit and she got rave reviews and she's, like, she's a huge star actually in england and france now bigger than she is in new york uh, and and and, and sh- all of them are very loyal about, you know, the fact that they got a chance to, to do this stuff uh, for, uh, and learn, and, and, and not learn, but get better at their craft, uh, sure. by virtue of uh, that repetition of being on stage. So anyway, we, told the, the, our, we always tell our performers, you've got to do it, you, you know, it's not, and this leads to the other part of the answer to your question, which is, I say to people all the time, in this business, you have to make your own opportunities. You can't you can't just wait for somebody to cast you. Create something if you can find find a way to put yourself on stage. Uh, and this comes out of the nightclub stuff. I mean we we had this this woman who uh, was from Italy uh, who'd come out of Amda uh, and she was a wonderful performer, but had a thick Italian accent. I said, you're just not going to get cast that much. You should do concert stuff. you should do nightclub stuff because there you can be you be the beautiful singer you are with the exact accent uh, that pe- people will be charmed with and there aren't that many opportunities that way. So uh, um, I, I tell people to create your own opportunities. That's what i that's my biggest advice, advice to people is, uh, is, is figure out what you have to offer, write it, uh, collaborate with people, whatever you have to do, but get yourself on stage and get experience and get an audience and hone and, and, and your craft.
0: Well, Scott, that is um, fantastic advice because I think that is that is the way to do it. You can't become a writer without writing. You can't become a performer without performing, and you can't be a performer really without performing in front of an audience. So I think that is extremely valuable advice. I've been speaking for a little bit more than an hour with uh, Scott Siegel, who is uh, well-known in New York for uh, putting on Broadway by the Year at Town Hall and various other concert venues. And Scott, I can't thank you enough for coming on Story Beat today. This has been just absolutely illuminating.
1: Well, thank you. I, 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 obviously, I love to talk. <laughs> so <laughs> It's great that you gave me the opportunity to do it. I appreciate it.
0: And so we've come to the end of today's Story Beat. If you like this podcast, please take a moment to give us a rating or review on whatever app or platform you're listening to. Your support helps us bring more great story beat episodes to you. Until next time, I'm Steve Kudin, and may all your stories be unforgettable.